Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, and joining me today are David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com. Well, it's the start of autumn, and unless you've gone into hibernation, then you've heard about Newcastle United. The richest club with a swish of a pen. A Saudi consortium fronted by Amanda Staveley took over the club last week, and it seems the possibilities are endless. Dave... After taking in all the hype around who's going to be brought in and who's going to be managing the team, have you settled down and have you thought about it logically? Oh, always from day one. But the problem is to try and calm the insufferable Geordies. That's not going to be the problem because like, they, they annoy me, lads. They've annoyed me for years, the whole big club thing. I'm sorry, I'm 41, I've never seen it. Yeah, I love it if we beat them for a few years, it's great. But show me where you were big in, in my lifetime. But now they're just going to be on a different level. But, you know, it's going to take a few years. And will they have the patience? That's what's going to be very interesting. Will they have the patience and, and tolerate the fact that they're going to be improving, but they're not going to be in the Champions League next year. They're not going to be in it probably the year after. Um, and it's just relax, bide your time, and get the right man and get the right bodies. Don't just get superstars and mercenaries. Like That's what's going to be interesting. The world is their oyster, but it's just, are they going to do it the right way? Because... Let's face it, there's going to be absolute rumours galore about everyone and their mother for for years to come. But in the greater scheme of things, when you wipe away that for a minute, it's just exciting that, as I said, within another year or two, there will be another name of the pot. And uh, it won't be just the, the two Manchesters, Liverpool, Chelsea, maybe Arsenal and Spurs if they got their finger out again. And if Rafa can do something with Newcastle or with uh, Everton, but I suppose in that sense, in a year or two, it's just great that there's going to be another another name in the pot for, 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 for when the league uh, kicks off every year. Yep. Neil, Steve Bruce is under a fierce bit of pressure. He was under pressure anyhow, and once this deal was struck, it's hard to see him keep his job. Yeah, um, I wouldn't see him keeping his job in any way, shape or form. I mean, if we look back at Manchester City when they got their millions, um, did they hang on to Mark Hughes for a little while and you know, remember Rabino came into the side and they kind of, he was an odd one. He thought he was going to Chelsea or elsewhere. And they began to buy inflated players, Jolie and Lescott. So Hughes was kind of the, you know, the, the 1.0. And then they decided to upgrade him and get rid of him when it wasn't happening fast enough. And then the real investment began to come in and the better quality players. So I can't see Steve Bruce being the kind of face uh, as ugly as the face is of, new, of the new Newcastle so you know they're going to go with someone more glamorous they're going to go with a big name manager that can get players in and if they learn that from City I guess it's that you know the bigger the name the more attractive the guys that want to come in that want to play from um, you know you want to hit the ground running I guess you don't want to be playing You're, they're going to pay ridiculous prices because everyone knows they have money but you want to get the right man in I think from the start so if they've any kind of cop on, they go big and they go uh, they go bold. Yeah, well, I'm going to go into that now with the the, the manager's odds just to uh, just have a little look at that. Brendan Rodgers is five to two favourite, but that today has been quashed by Brendan himself, who said he has no interest in the job. Uh, Lucien Favre six to one, Roberto Martinez eight to one with Conte. Stephen Gerrard ten to one with Graham Jones, Eddie Howe twelve to one with Graham Potter, and Frank Lampard and Zinedine Zidane are sixteen to ones. Uh, is there anyone in there that you think is likely to take the job, Dave? And is there anyone else that maybe has a chance? There's plenty that are likely to take it. When you have a war chest like that, and then the wage, and if you don't do well, who cares? You're a millionaire. If you're if you're not already a millionaire, like like managers are mercenaries as well. You know, there's no two ways about it. Are you going to tell me Lampard would, wouldn't turn down that job? Um, Rogers has come out quite quickly because that rumour mill really did gather pace this morning across a couple of the Newcastle media outlets and even Sky Sports and he's come out and said he's not interested at all, um, which is interesting. Um, it's not, I don't think the initial right man is going to be there at the very first go because it's going to be a bit like the players coming in, Roy, where 
the real big players aren't going to come in until they start going up another level or two when they start to creep up to near the top four and then all of a sudden a bit like City City brought in Milano and Petrov and Bellamy and a few other like, and then eventually your David Silva's and Aguero's and all these guys start coming in when they start getting a bit closer and it'll be something similar I think with the manager um, a lot of what you were saying there a lot of homegrown uh, or a bit of domestic which I think they'll go with first they'll try and get somebody um, of a top bracket and that's why Brendan Rodgers is not surprising I'm not, like, he's obviously ruled himself out so if he take it a face value it's not going to happen but uh, for me it's going to be at least one more before it may or may not click um, so somebody like Brendan Rodgers with the age he is he's only 48 it's probably a good thing but if he's ruling himself out I would say no but he probably would be the best fit I think um, but obviously real now but your Lampards and Gerrards won't go away for new young and up and coming um, can you say who was third or fourth in the list there Roy because as soon as you said him I went Mart- oh yeah he's very likely Martinez, Martinez and Conte Martinez get jumped out for me as well I think Belgium have hit, not necessarily hit that peak but there'll be one or two of their kind of golden generation that are on the 29-30 mark and he might think yeah there's only like I think after the next tournament Maybe or maybe maybe now. Obviously, they petered out in the Nations League at the weekend, so he could be lured in. As soon as you said in, I went, "Oh yeah, if they're going to go continental, he could be an, an interesting one." Even with a World Cup coming up, Dave. With money, would you stop? Like, 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 are they going to win it? They were very disappointed in this Nations League, and um, he might go. You wouldn't like nothing surprise would surprise me in football, um, to be honest, really. And we've been watching it long enough. And if he did jump, it shouldn't it shouldn't surprise any of us. Um, but they'd be probably my top two, which is a bit weird because they were my top two and uh, <laughs> about ten years ago for Liverpool, which is weird. But Robinson Benitez jumped out straight away. But in my opinion, whoever comes in, unfortunately, it's not going to be them because between the fans and between these owners, they they'll be impatient and it'll probably be the next guy. And when they stop playing fancy football and get real and start buying a team that's when you'll probably see who the right man is. So whoever takes it now, I personally, if I was saying talking to a Newcastle mate, don't get comfortable. Neil, who would you rule out instantly, maybe from that list or maybe someone else who was being mentioned? Um, I think the likes of Brendan Rogers with the idea of Tanzania because he knows the league very well, but maybe as Dave's saying there, he might be a little bit too high profile because they need someone to get the kind of, you know, to get it off the ground, to get it running. Um, I rule out the likes of Eddie Howe you know they're not going to take a chance on him and give him billions to spend I just can't see it um, I'd like to see if they were going to plan ahead as David said as you were saying there sorry Roy is about to work up next year maybe they could pull kind of someone for the year to get it out of the way and then target someone like Roberto Martinez or maybe Roberto Mancini off Italy someone like that now could come in with a profile with a name that could attract the type of player it just depends how slow and patient the new owners want to be and how many building blocks they want to put in place. Like, is this, you imagine if it's a city project, it's a long-term project. They totally, completely change the city around them, the training development, the recruitment. They change everything from head to toe and then they brought in Pep and he was kind of at the peak. You know, that was kind of the last block of it all. Um, so will they go in that regard? But I think a couple of the names, like, I mean, I don't know. As they said, money talks. But like Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, same thing. I just, I don't know. It doesn't fit for me. I think they're better off getting someone with that bit more experience and bit of know-how and that can stabilise them and get them up at least one level. When I say one level, you're competing with the Tottenham's and the Arsenal's, that kind of fifth, sixth, seventh place. And then they need to go one beyond maybe next summer, start recruiting a bit more clever. Do you know who they need for the next six months? Go on. Big Sam. Make sure you stay in the Premier League. For <laughs> They're not going to get a lot of players in January, you know. And God, God for God knows who they'll end up trying to buy in January. But uh, that's who that they need to make sure they stay in the league first. Yeah, Neil, I was going to say to you about Martinez. Martinez is someone who has has always been a bit rocky as a manager, a bit wishy-washy like he went to Everton didn't do a whole lot he did great at Wigan to get them the FA Cup but got relegated he's gone to Belgium with one of the best squads in the world hasn't really done anything does he deserve a chance at, at you know at a club like that or uh, you know any big club 
Uh, I always thought he talked a great game. He, he, he can be a bit of a bluffer at times, I used to think, at Everton, but he talked a great game, regardless if they won or lost. And, and even he did it with Belgium the other night. He was blaming the fatigue, but he was still kind of on one hand saying, we're still deadly, you know, I'm still the man for the job. So I think Martinez does a great job talking himself up. And the fact that he went from, you know, your Everton to then into Belgium, which at the time was a very high-profile team with a very, very... Uh, kind of exciting project ahead of them and as you said achieved nothing but yeah I still think he's in that kind of you know regard where you would maybe trust him I'm not saying on a pepper clop level for example but you trust him maybe to get the kind of groundwork done I think he just has that thing about him personally I, I was never mad on him but I think with working with the players he has for the last few years and the kind of profile he's done he's done okay with Belgium he's kind of flirting with success without really getting there um, I'm not saying it'd be any less of a gamble than like a, a Gerrard or a Lampard but I think he'd be safer than one of them just with the experience that he has Dave Antonio Conte is a free man he's able to take up a job do you think he'd be up for the, the, the chance to try and fight relegation first of all or would he be looking to wait in the wings potentially wait in the wings that's why the likes of the Rodgers and Martinez and stuff that we're talking about it's about the levels like the, the big big boys won't come yet like in saying that, and Conte, technically, I suppose you could say he is, but is he ready to do the, the grass and look at Ancelotti? We all thought it was the greatest move ever, and as soon as he got there, he went, yeah, I'm getting out here as quick as I can, um, <laughs> even though he was promised money. Will Conte do that as well? It's like, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get in, get me contract, and then get me payday. So you'd be weary of getting the very top level at this stage, because are they really going to put in the, the groundwork? Because it's not going to happen overnight, and that's the whole point of it's going to be very interesting what happens in January. Obviously, Bruce is going to go. They'll, if he doesn't go straight away, it won't be long before they look. It's as simple as that. So it'll be very interesting what you see in the early stages come January and then obviously in the summer because it's like, is it going to be a slow building process, a bit like what what, what, what Man City did? Or are they just going to just go hell for leather and get to the top as quick as they can? And that's easier said than done. So... It's 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 all about the man. I don't know him inside out, but would he be willing to, 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 to be there from the start and build it to the top? Who's to say? He hasn't lasted in a lot of jobs. I don't think he's 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 a tempestuous character, he's he's fiery. Would he be would he be able to change his attitude and, and play the waiting game and the calm game for three or four seasons before hitting the top? I would doubt that, to be honest. I would doubt it. I think he's a he's a two or three season man like a lot of managers nowadays. In fairness to Ancelotti, he was with the third best team in Liverpool, behind Liverpool and Liverpool reserves. So he, that's why he probably he probably that's why he jumped ship. Um, okay, so we have a we've had a little look at the managers, but Neil, what realistic players do you can you see coming in January? Because that is a big big window now for Newcastle. Can they get in a couple of players to just get fend them away? And there's a lot of games after Christmas, so getting players in, probably getting them to mould. Do do they need players who are in the Premier League already, or, or can they take the risk at, at taking some players from Europe? Um, I think they have to be a little bit bold in January because, as David said there earlier, there is a big risk that Newcastle could end up in trouble come the turn of the year. So, I think initially they'll spend regardless. If you remember the way Chelsea used to do it, they used to kind of pick off one or two of the kind of better players of the kind of mid to lower range teams, they'd offer them a little bit silly money, um, but it was enough to stabilise the club and kind of you had a good kind of a backup eleven if you ever needed it. So I definitely think to do. I think they should buy kind of Premier League, you know, experienced type of guys. Um, what I find interesting part about it is what money are they going to spend and what the knock on effect of this is going to be. Like if you look at Paris Saint Germain when they start splashing the cash. Uh, in particular, like the Neymar deal. I know I know they were a bigger club at the time, but that kind of changed the whole transfers, the world transfers from that point forward because people realised there was another player around and they were willing to spend any means of money. So I guess it would be interesting the amounts of money they spend. And, you know, we were talking about on the show the last time about the multipliers of English players that all of a sudden a £20 million English player becomes 50, 60 million because he's English and because, you know, they make a big deal about him. So how willing are they going to be? Because when people know you have money, they know, you know, they know you're going to have deep pockets. They know they can ask for more. So will you get the mercenaries going in there or will they be clever in their picks 
but it's it's most likely going to change the transfers in particular this uh, sorry this winter um, in England and maybe even in Europe depending on how heavy they go uh, kind of on the first go Dave for you any names who do you think uh, quick one off the bat do a West Ham and get Jesse for the last six months because it doesn't look like he's going to play all that much for United so you can get a, a similar outlook a bit a better and um, uh, the same output that West Ham got and a bit similar to what Joe Willock was straight away from the get-go I was thinking that um, I'd be probably looking at backline as well they've been a bit leaky um, but yeah just straight away I was looking at the top club going who's on the fringes that's not doing it and you could maybe rob on loan he'd be probably potentially the best providing you got the, the same output as you got with West Ham yeah I think there's because the goals are drying up and obviously Wilson's this fragile so goals aren't quite there at the moment which is what their biggest weakness is as well yeah I think more than likely Neil when you look at Newcastle they could be getting a couple of those players maybe it's a loan deal um, but some of those yeah. players who are on the fringe of of the the first team and whether that be in England or that be in Italy or Spain it seems the most likely because I can't see anyone taking that risk just yet to, to, to jump on board because there's no European football Yeah I mean if, if I was you know if you're being clever you're going to go to the likes of Chelsea and you know maybe their second string the likes of Ben Chilwell there isn't getting in you know, you could have a punt to him. As they say, in centre-halves, you could go to Wolves. If you wanted to go big, you're going for the likes of Connor Cody. He's not going to cost you a, an arm and a leg, but he's established. Um, up front, why would you not go somewhere the likes of a Danny Ings or that type of character where it's a guy that wants to move to a slightly bigger club and it's something to prove. Again, I know he's only recently moved, but that type of player where he's going to get you goals. Listen, Newcastle need a lot of players in a lot of positions, but... Um, I'd be going for the kind of tried and trusted to get you through to next summer and then try upgrade them from that point forward Yeah there's some odds here now I have in front of me Jude Bellingham to join next summer 8-1 to one. Raheem Sterling uh, 10-1 to one for next summer Paul Pogba 20-1 to one. and then it goes on to the, to the mad ones of Mbappe, Haaland and Salah 33, <laughs> 50 and 66 but Jude Bellingham and Raheem Sterling wouldn't be a bad shout Dave yeah, absolutely. Like Bellingham, I'd say that'll be a tough one to get over the line other than obviously if they're bigger and better in their offer because obviously the, it's purely rumour and the whole Dortmund thing. Um, the rumour mill has been ramping up over the last month or so about Bellingham and Liverpool. I'm sure everyone at the top level will be having a look at him as well. So that could be the toughest of the two but with Sterling struggling to get in and he's in and out of sight at the moment, there's every chance and thirdly, Somebody who was there before, and depending on where Brent, Brentford are, Mr. Ivan Tony, he was there when he was younger. So somebody like that as well, especially if, he, if he's younger and fitter than, say, Callum Wilson. But uh, Bellingham would be probably the not least likely, but that would be the one where you'd just see just how much power have they got. Because I'd say there would be a few other big boys sniffing around him if he's available. Neil, what teams have to worry about their place in the top six, I suppose? Um, do you know what it is Ryan I hate to say it. I mean I'm looking at Liverpool's spending model at the moment and the way they kind of him and Han over keeping a guy like Salah at the minute where that should just be a done deal and finish because he's probably one of the best around at the moment but Liverpool don't have the spending clout uh, it's even David saying there you know Bellingham Jew, uh, Jew Bellingham that Liverpool were having a look at him I just when I see rumours of Haaland and Bellingham and these type of guys that are going to cost you you know a little bit extravagant compared to the average Porsches. I'd say at and over 50 million. I, I never really believe it in the Liverpool's case until you see it materialise. So money-wise, if you look at any of the leagues, the Spanish league, the Italian league, it's the ones that spend the most money to win all the prizes. And that's why City are winning them all the last while. Liverpool are a little bit of an exception to that. But again, they had 150 million to spend and spent it very well when they had the chance. But that was, you know, Coutinho money. If I, w- I would worry personally as a Liverpool supporter that another financial cloud team coming in, you know, they're going to blow, the, I would imagine with the money they will have at their disposal, they'll blow the likes of Arsenal and Spurs out of the water eventually. Uh, Man United, Chelsea, City won't worry too much because, you know, they have their own investments, they have their own uh, bankers behind them. Um, but yeah, as a Liverpool supporter, I'd be a little bit worried. Say when Klopp leaves in another, what's it, is it two years left? What you're left with? Are you trying to kind of do the money ball scenario? Um, and can you then compete with an extra kind of massive uh, club competing with all these players? 
Yeah, it's going to be very interesting times and it makes the Premier League a little bit more fun, a little bit more exciting to see Newcastle. It's a, it's a whole new world and roll on January. Uh, it's the first time I wanted to see Christmas over and done with, just to see who they're going to bring in. So, uh, yeah, can't, can't wait for that. Ho, ho, ho. OK, listen, I sent it on to you there on WhatsApp. Uh, the 2021 Ballon d'Or nominees... Uh, there's quite a, a few usual names. You've got the, the Messis and Ronaldos. There's uh, a, a few English, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden. You've got the likes of Fernandes, Haaland, Jorginho, Kane, Kante, Donnarumma, Diaz, Cellini, Bruyne, Benucci, Benzema, Barella, Ascolapueta, uh, uh, Lewandowski, Lukaku, Mares, Martinez, Mbappe, Modric, uh, Moreno, uh, Neymar, Pedri, Salah, Sterling, Suarez, and Simon Kjær, is that the centre-back for Denmark? I think. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dave, you know how I feel about these kind of awards, but when I look at some of the names that are there, it, it does it, it baffles me a little bit. Raheem Sterling's in there, question mark. Luka Modric. Luka Modric, yeah. Uh, discuss. Yeah, like, listen, like, when not blaming Ronaldo here by the way but when Ronaldo moved from United to Madrid the mask of these Ballon d'Ors and awards started to show that it became a bit of a behind the scenes political thing and people jockeying for it and I did and he was annoyed that he wasn't getting enough support for it and stuff like that and you start to see it and it becomes a bit nonsensical but to nominate 30 is ridiculous for a start as you said <laughs> you could close your eyes and pick 15 without, without a shadow of a doubt and shock they're all there as usual like the whole back in the day, like the the the, the late two thousands into twenty ten, like you could name eight of the eleven of the, the obvious Barcelona midfield and Buffon and goal, and it was just boring. Like when the likes of a Jamie Vardy who had a ridiculous season for a year, they deserved the the nod that they deserve at the time. But no, you have to give it to Messi Ronaldo, and that's just the way it is, which is ridiculous. But there's probably about twenty of the thirty there that are like what the f? Like I'm sorry. Jared Moreno, just because Villarreal got to a final, they had to give a nomination to somebody. Simon Kier, let's face it, it's for standing in front of Christian Eriksen. That's the only reason why he's there. You know, there's an award for that. I'm sure there's an award you can give, but to give him a Ballon d'Or nominee, ridiculous. Um, I'm not going to go through them, but there's about to, like Borella's there, God, and it's like, yeah, it's throwing a few Italians. And Pedri has only just kicked off at Barcelona, but he'll be in it now for the next 10 years as long as he's fit. Martinez at Inter, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm not going through them. It's just, as I said, there's 10 of them, 10 to 15 that are just ridiculous. It's 10 or 15 too many. Um, I'm not interested. It's obvious, potentially, Messi and Ronaldo are going to be at least in the top three. And it's a rumour mill now that Jorginho's going to get it. So um, if the fact that that rumour mill's already kicking off, chances are he's going to get it, a bit like Luka Modric. Um, because obviously he went a bit above and beyond, and and um, they got to the to the final of the World Cup that time, and they're obviously starting to move away from the Messi Ronaldo. And I'm not saying Jorginho's going to get it, but he's the rumor. He's the rumor that he's strongly going to get it with the fact that Italy won the Euros. But Riyad Mahrez, like, are you serious? Like Raheem Sterling, like uh, I have to, I have to stop looking at it. It's actually annoying me, really. So I'm behind you on this one all the way. And um, listen, it's. How true or how realistic it is nowadays is beyond me because you see some of the voting, like Ronaldo and Messi don't really vote for each other, and others don't really. Like, it gets very tactical and a bit like the Eurovision, you know? <laughs> Ireland never have a hope anymore. <laughs> yeah, Neil, I'm looking at Liverpool forward Sadio Mane. He slammed France football for not including Chelsea goalkeeper Edouard Mende in the 30-man Ballon d'Or shortlist. In 44 appearances for the Blues across all competitions, Mendy conceded just 29 goals and kept 25 clean sheets, helping them to win the, the Champions League, of course. This is, is his omission sort of proof that it's it's a popularity contest, really, more so than, you know, who is the best? And of course, we, we talked about this before, the Ballon d'Or, if you're going to do it properly, needs to be broke down into different positions, surely. Yeah, I, I look, it's a popularity contest and it's getting to the stage now where, as Dave is saying there, the whole Messi versus Ronaldo thing, it almost became a kind of a, 
the rivalry was how many people can you persuade, how many votes can you persuade. Like there was years where Messi and Ronaldo, dare I say, average seasons for them, but they didn't have you know brilliant seasons. They mightn't have won the Champions League. They mightn't have run the domestic league. Uh, Chelsea this year for me because they did you know they recovered well in the league, but the Champions League masked the fact that. They didn't average enough league as such. Like, I mean, the Lampard months were a bit of a joke. So, you know, these guys should be the guys that were absolute standout in a calendar year. You know, they were the best of the best. They were the best in their position. They were carrying their team and their team wasn't doing well. There should be a consistency. It should be, as I think as Dave might have said, a, a less of a list, like maybe a list of five, a list of ten. Or as you said, you break it down by position. Um, it shouldn't be, you know, like I'm looking at Luka Modric there. Like that can only be kind of fanciful romance that you know he's still included in this. When, well, yeah, when you can, when you compare him to someone that won the domestic league, like there's Ruben Diaz. I remember two or three years ago we were all looking for Van Dijk to be there. Liverpool won the league and then they won the Champions League. We're like, oh yeah, Van Dijk has got to be there. Ruben Diaz won a domestic title and made a Champions League final. If City had got over the line would you be saying he was the guy? If that was Sergio Ramos, he'd be probably first, second or third if he wasn't Ruben Diaz, but he doesn't have the same profile. So it's all about profile. It's nothing to do with actually breaking down facts of how many goals and assists and the way they play and, you know, the influence they have. Unfortunately, the influence, it's almost like when you're choosing where the World Cup is going to go, it goes with the brown envelopes and the fanciful and the nonsense. Um, And it's a pity because it should be something to be celebrated that you know, maybe we'll need Messi and Ronaldo to move aside before you can have a serious debate over the next two or three guys to come in because the politics of Messi and Ronaldo still kind of ruin it a little that I think people feel obliged to go for one or the other to push them ahead, um, which just makes it a, a shame at the end. Marina and the Diamonds once said it, I am not a robot. Now it's Thibaut Courtois and <laughs> Neymar. Uh, Dave, are players overworked? Um... I'm going to say, yeah. Um, let's just pretend they don't get the money they do. Let's just pretend they aren't in the privileged position that they are. Um, football is heavily, very heavily saturated. And uh, the during COVID and the pandemic is proof of that. And um, why so many games can sometimes be very underwhelming. Like, you look at, like, say, very top players are in the Champions League and who are internationals. Um, the season started last September and it's literally weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek with travelling in between. We go away on a holiday, we come back and we're knackered for a few days. So these guys, and people go, oh, they're at least they're well trained. It's still tough going mentally and physically. And then you're doing midweek and, and, and weekend and then you finish at the weekend and you've got an international break and it's now three games in just over a week. It's about eight days uh, for a lot of them. Now, the last few have only been two but they were fitting in three and then it's back on again and then they were out for you're in a major championship um, in the summer like the Euros or Cup of America and you're back pre-season training two weeks later and you're supposed to do it all over again. Um, I'm not defending everything all the way. Like obviously Neymar God love him. He's definitely going to get the worst of it all because a lot of people are don't like his theatrics on the pitch. But there is a there. It needs to be looked at. I'm not saying I'm 100 percent behind him, but I it needs to be looked at. Like Thibaut Courtois is bang on the money. A third, a third and fourth place playoff for a, a Nations League is ridiculous. You got beaten in the semi. Good luck. You know, off you go. Uh, move on. The third, fourth place playoffs are debatable in my opinion, but you know. There is a potential that they're being overworked and over. Like you see certain players who are top players and they disappear for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden they get going again and then they disappear. It's not I don't think it's um I don't think it's anything else other than potentially uh fatigue. You look at your you look at Bruno Fernandez, if another United fan says it, Jesus Christ, and I've got a pound for every time I'd be rich. But there comes a point where you have to go, are they? And I think there is a strong argument for it, but a lot of people won't give a crap because they're rich and uh, they're our slaves uh, and they should do as they're told and play every two or three days and show up moment, which I think is very unfair. Neil, with some of the squads that would be in Champions League and Europa League, but mostly Champions League, there's enough players there, enough quality players in these teams to be able to rotate. Some teams don't. Is that the fault of the clubs? 
I think some of the teams, if you look at maybe like a West Ham this year, you know, they haven't been in Europe for a few years maybe, so they might not have the squad or they might not have the squad depth. And maybe on the other hand, they're a little bit reluctant until you become more stable and reaching them goals all the time. So say the likes of Man United, Liverpool, you know, City, Chelsea, they know they're going to be in these competitions. So they can maybe plan ahead by three years, five years that they know they need that size of squad. Whereas the likes of West Ham, Spurs, Arsenal, it, you know, they're a little bit more reluctant to spend on the long term in case, you know, they've a 10 place finish, 7 place finish and they don't finish there. So there is a there's a there's an element of risk for some clubs to 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 raise their squad maybe, you know, where you can have literally a second string eleven. And now you look at Man City last year when they the title was more or less running one on the run in, they ended up paying a second string and then really heavily concentrating on uh, the Champions League at the time it was. So yeah, it can work out for them. But I think for if you're again going back to a Liverpool scenario, Liverpool's second string would be nowhere near as strong as a Chelsea slash Manchester City second string. So I wouldn't say it's all fault. I think they have to be very careful that you know you don't overextend yourself and you're paying wages for you know panel number eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and it's taken away from the quality of your first eleven. So it must be, you know, an interesting conversation when a coach goes in and said, listen, even Leicester, for example, you're going into Europe, you want to play on a Thursday, you're going to be forced to play whatever it is Sunday then. You know, how fresh do you want to be or how much do you want to put on the line to do well in Europe but not lose your seed and your place in the league? And Leicester are probably going to fall into that trap this year, um, not necessarily due to poor planning, but just because... You know they're coming to the end of the cycle, or you know they're they're finding it hard to keep up with the big boys. Um, but it is something to consider that you know, and it's all about money at the end of the day of how much they want to spend and how diluted they want their their first eleven to be. Do you agree that they are being overworked? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, the Nations League they've said their third fourth place. What a joke! Uh, now that said, I do think they want fame and fortune as in to go along with their riches. I mean, you've seen what the final meant to them when they won the final. It was a big bloody deal, that Nations League, even though, you know, what's the Nations League? Um, but, you know, when you're going uh, midweek now, you're playing three games. Like, they're already talking about jetting the Brazilian guys home to be ready in time for Saturday, which tells you they're going to put huge pressure on them. So if you're Alisson or Fabinho or one of them, if you're a Brazilian player, uh, Jesus, you know, you're going to play three games in eight days and then they're going to rush you home to play another game. So... Um, I think it has a massive knock-on effect and, you know, uh, Kevin De Bruyne would be my biggest example of a guy this year. I don't think he's played anywhere near the level that he can play or has shown and he looks completely burnt out. Dave said Bruno Fernandes, that's definitely another one that would uh, come off your tongue because, again, I don't think he's found his form so much this year, maybe moments, but you're going to rid yourself of the talent of these guys week in, week out because they just can't catch their breath almost during the season. Well, sure, look at what they're trying to do now and potentially a World Cup every two years. And of all people, Arsene Wenger thinks it's doable. Like, how good is that product going to be if that was to happen, you know? Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth, Dave. If that does come around and FIFA look to push it, I suppose this is probably coming off the back of that now. So this is probably why the pressure is, become, is coming on, but... There would be a, a tournament on every summer. There would be no rest at all. So it yeah. would be two weeks rest every year. It, it, first of all, it doesn't make any sense because it, it dilutes the, I suppose, the rarity of the World Cup. And that's why it was so special, isn't it? Absolutely. And it, like, that's the whole point of it. It is that kind of rarity. And like, like the Olympics and whatever, it's every four years and it's, and it's exclusive. You don't. Not everyone gets it. Look at some of the great players. Your best in gigs of the world, and everyone else. Like it doesn't happen for everyone, and it is a very special thing. And we would would give anything to see Ireland back there again. And it could dilute it. And other like, and they're going to probably try and make it more inclusive. Why to get money countries in? And guess what? Money countries here, kind of Middle Eastern countries. Get them. All of a sudden, there'll be more spaces for them. And the Asian countries. Why? Because they are rich. And they and billions of people living there. That's probably some of these reasons. And 
the, the nasty side of it that I'm starting to see over the last few days and a few documentaries, the gambling side. You just, I just, nothing would surprise me what's in the background uh, pushing a lot of this stuff and, and with, with FIFA and the way they are. Um, but UEFA obviously have stood strong and said, let's let's go to war on this and, and they're going to do their best for it not to happen. But it'd be, it'd be interesting if the players were to, to do a bit of a, like like the United fans that day against Liverpool, it'd be interesting if the players even uh, kind of linked arms and went, no, we're not doing it. Yeah, I just think it'd take the shine off the beauty that is the World Cup. Yeah, I, I'm one now. I really hope it doesn't happen. It's I think it'd make a mockery <laughs> of it all. It, it won't, doesn't surprise me though either, Dave, because uh, the, yeah. the rules that FIFA are making at the moment just within football, which is slowly taking the game apart. Again, you look at the Mbappe goal. Actually, I'll, I'll ask Neil. Neil, uh, discuss the Mbappe goal because th- that rule is, for me, an absolute farce and... It, it's, I don't know who these, whoever came up with that rule does need to be brought around the back and shot because these, that, that rule is one of the worst rules I've ever seen in football where you are trying to give an extra advantage even when a player is offside to a forward which has gone beyond you know logic in football to me. Yeah, do you know what it is? Look, in the last few years, we've seen goalkeepers not allowed to come off their line for penalties they have to stay on the line. We've given so much advantage to make sure the goal is scored. We've given so much advantage to the to the striker. This, for me, as a part of the Defenders Union, is probably the worst decision I've ever seen. Where I'm watching it, I was actually in the pub, but with no sound. And I keep saying to myself, why the hell is that given? He's a mile off, an absolute mile off. And they kept circling you know, your man lying on the ground and just getting a little flick to it. I didn't actually understand what it was at the time until I Googled it. It's an awful, awful rule that the guy holds his line, the defender does his job, and then when the ball is played, he tries to react as you you humanly can only do. I mean, you you can't stand there like a robot and take the risk that, you know, he he could be marginally on. He gets a flick of the ball and Mbappe scores. Absolutely incredible. I was disgusted watching it. When I found out the actual reason why he was on and that was how they won the game, it was a little bit of a farce for me. I was disgusted. Absolutely. Yep, that's FIFA for you guys. Um, that's who is ruling the footballing world at the moment. Uh, it looks like uh, to me that that needs big changes. Um, we'll leave that one there. Okay. Just this week, it was International Week and CR7 scored a hat-trick. Uh, but 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 not the, not the CR7, you think. Our Callum Robinson steals the new, the new <laughs> undefeated Callum Robinson uh, scored a hat-trick against Qatar. And Dave, there's signs, isn't there? We've talked about Ireland in, you know, obviously they're out of the World Cup yeah. qualifying campaign, but we've been talking about them from the start, how even from the very first game that Stephen Kenny took over and there has been uh, lows and even lowers and mediocre games and promise but it's it has been shown there, there has been that sort of turn to a style of football uh, but the other night it just looked like there was a, and against Azerbaijan as well uh, a little bit more of a commitment to pass the ball around but also to go a little bit longer if it, if it was needed and a little bit more aggression as well uh, on our pressing and I just thought there's 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 a slight change there but next month will tell all 100% like it's, it's it's not time to start like painting the, the curbs or anything like that just yet and we're back but it's definitely very encouraging signs like 7-0 over two games like you know seven goals and nothing conceded and not looking to under any great pressure I think there's an element of a bit of belief obviously that's coming in now a bit of familiarity with players because we're not having that kind of hard luck stories as much anymore and it's very much the team who we want or close enough there's not too many pull outs and what have you so there's a bit more and then even the kids like the younger guys who have come through are a couple of games in now and they're starting to settle and gain a bit of confidence so overall good signs for the two matches um, even the likes of Jeff Hendrick I thought Halloween was in a few weeks time but he's actually starting to he dressed up like a footballer for the two games and, and impressed as well because he's been missing, uh, especially certainly for Ireland for a few years, and even he was impressive. So, look, overall, I think the, the, the Robinson was a good foil. He definitely, obviously, with everything that went on, had a point to prove and really wanted to... He put his foot forward in the right way instead of potentially being a bit bitter and kind of getting a bit angry. He got angry in the right way, and Jesus, five goals in two games. 
we're desperate for goals and it'd be just great to see that continue in any way, shape or form for the next while. But I've said it millions of times from day one, how they're starting to play is how I wanted to see it with, well, how I expected to see it with Kenny, especially against teams who are around our level and below. Because whatever about the big boys, we'll always show up, we'll always put up a fight and we will get that win or a draw from time to time. But how we play against teams around us and below is is is, is re- up until Kenny, in my opinion, and potentially up until this weekend, has been shocking for 10 or 15 years. The amount of times we fall over the line against your Andorras and drawn against Georges and just awful games at Gibraltar 1-0 away because we don't play with a confidence and with an aggression that we've seen over the last two games that we need to see against, as I say again, around our level and below. We literally, they, they're the ones that piss me off the most because whatever about against the big boys, you know, we'll always put it put it up to them in the fighting Irish attitude. But you don't see it then against the other lads and we don't seem to have the confidence to impose ourselves. And we've seen an element of that in the last two games and long may that continue. And like I said at the weekend, you know, the Luxembourg one, for me, is a bit of a cup final um, because we owe them one and it'd be great to see what we've seen in the last two matches against them. And I, we're going to show up against Portugal. It's just what result we're going to get is, in, is going to be interesting because they're going to be bang at it because they need points because obviously there's a bit of a battle now with Serbia. So it's going to be very interesting. I expect us to play well, whatever the result is, results, but whatever happens, it'll, hopefully it doesn't damage us that we'd be raring to go for the Luxembourg game. Neil, when you look at Adam Eda up front and Callum Robinson against Azerbaijan, both of them played um, against Qatar. Obviously, Callum Robinson was up front on his own. Which way would you like to see it? I thought McGrath did fairly well when he was playing uh, as well. Uh, what would your your front line be? Um, I just think Adam Eda looked knackered in the last game as in maybe just a game too far from which is why... Uh, he was rested against Qatar, I guess. But um, I like Robinson. There's something a little bit uh, ballsy about him, a little bit of confidence. Um, he's probably never really got a full run on the side, as in a proper run on the side. He was always in and out. Um, he, I was probably mirrored his Premier League career with West Brom that time, where he was in and out of the side. Well, he was capable of scoring kind of spectacular goals every now and then. So we just couldn't see whether there was something there. It's a little bit like Conley. We still don't know if there's a player in there. For me, I'd like to see Robinson play exactly where he was and build on that performance. Uh, I actually liked uh, McGrath as well. Um, And to be honest with you, I don't think it matters a massive amount who you partner with him because I think he finally has kind of the midfield and back line, this kind of three at the back with the wing backs. It, that, that to me is the pivotal changing point for Kenny now where he, we seem to have a settled or more settled way of playing days after brilliantly echoing what I was thinking there insofar as we're playing better against we'll say the lesser teams or the teams around us now which is where we wanted to go um, but for me yeah Robinson I, I want to say he's a find almost because it's we haven't seen this before out of him you know what I mean consistently um, and wouldn't it be great in the next game or two if he went on and got a goal or a goal or two in each game to kind of cement someone in there because we've been saying for too long we don't have that guy that we look to that what we you know we want him to, to make it so I don't know if he can fit the two of them into the side I guess he could fit Robinson either side of either um, but I would be happy with either of them as a fulcrum of the attack and then you can go wide with a number of players which I don't think makes a massive amount of difference Dave, we're blessed with goalkeepers at the moment. Kelleher, uh, albeit a, a quite enough game for him, did everything that he needed to do. Mark Travers doing brilliant at Bournemouth and, of course, uh, Gavin Bizzoun, looking calm and composed as always. When you look at those three goalkeepers, Dave, you look at our back line now with Nathan Collins coming in, making his debut, uh, along with the other three centre-backs who look really, really solid. It's starting to look very interesting uh, defensively, anyhow, certainly, with our, our wing-backs uh, solid enough as well. And that kind of gives you a little bit of optimism, doesn't it? 100%. Um, but thankfully, it's something that we've always bred and bred well. Every time you think, oh, when Packy Bonner's gone, we're in trouble, and then Alan Kelly comes along. Oh, Alan Kelly's gone, we're in trouble, and Shea Given comes along. Keepers and centre-halves... Uh, 
no disrespect that like they're a dime a dozen thankfully with our they always come good even when we think we're we're lacking we always seem to spit out another one or two lads and a bit similar with the fullbacks but it's 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 the pillar really for every any team good bad or indifferent uh, and and setting up and if you've got a good solid setup in the back line it gives you a chance against the very best so that when you can keep them quiet and then when we get that one chance Robinson gets that one chance against Portugal, you know, or look what we did against Portugal previously. You know, we did very well defensively. Obviously, somebody of the class of Ronaldo stepped up and that was a different story. But it, it will be the fulcrum for everything we do because obviously we can impose ourselves against the weaker opposition, get the ball back quick and then get the, the midfield and forwards doing what to do. But it also, if they're as solid as they are, it can keep us in a game against a Portugal or a, or a Germany or an Italy, whenever it may be. And the longer it stays at zero, we get the odds. Uh, um, set piece, or we get that one chance. You know that's how we beat these guys at the very top because we're not that we're not at that level. So that's why the defence looking as tight as it is at the moment is exactly what we need. And long may it continue. And thankfully, you know, even though you might be worried about your Duffy's and as great as he's doing at the moment, he is getting into the twenty nine thirties. When you see the likes of Omar Bamadei looking as good as he does, and now with Nathan Collins, and obviously uh, John Egan still fairly fresh. You know, we're, we're in a good position and. and God knows who's going to be next, but thankfully, when it comes to keepers and defenders, we, we still spit them out, thank God. Neil, I suppose when you look at Ireland, they have done well this week, but next year, or next year, I was going to say, next month, November, we've got Portugal and we've got Luxembourg. If we lose against Portugal and let's say draw against Luxembourg, how does it look for Stephen Kenny? Does does that do it? Is it is enough? What does he need to do to stay on? Or do you think they're going to have to full back in now after a good October? Um, I don't think he's going to get the full back in because if you look at the kind of performances against Serbia and Portugal, especially the Portugal game, anyone that watches football could see it was a brilliant performance bar the Ronaldo five minutes at the bloody end. Like We did everything right. We stifled them. But we didn't stifle them old school the way we used to go away with like Mick McCarthy and Martin O'Neill and Trap. We stifle them by pressing them high and by restricting the amount of attacks that they made. We did it in the right manner. So he got massive kudos in that night from from me anyway. As in, he, he I won't say it changed my mind, but it gave me a little bit of hope that there was something different there, and maybe his project was beginning to kind of bear fruit. Um. But if, if most people didn't around end times give Stephen Kenny a chance, even based on the last week, you know, kind of giving him a little bit of time, I don't know if everyone's going to change their mind or get on the bandwagon. I can see us doing well against Portugal again. It just seems to be the way we play now, we've a defined way of playing. And I think we're going to do well. Now, we might not win. Uh, the Luxembourg game, though, and I think Dave's going to hit the nail again on the head earlier by saying, this is the type of team now we want to see playing the football we played last week will bear through in a in a win. And and I don't I it doesn't necessarily have to be a convincing win three nil, but I'd like to see us go out and beat them beat them with the same kind of football, the same positive attitude, you know, passing around the back, being direct when we need to, all them things that have kind of we think are coming good, I want to see it come good because I think he needs that win in particular the Luxembourg game. And, you know, people can turn around after and go, oh, it's Luxembourg. But they beat us the last time. This would be a big turning point to say, look, don't worry about what happened the last time. We've been building, we've changed, we've grown, we've evolved. And now this is us going forward for maybe next year, next tournament, whatever it will be. But a decent performance against Portugal and a convincing win slash good performance win against Luxembourg, I think he, he almost still needs it. I just feel he still needs it to convince the other, you know, the people that maybe that were on the fence that, you know, he's the guy to bring them forward. I think he needs it. Okay. Right, it'll be interesting next month to see how we get on there. Uh, just going to finish off, Dave. Watford boss Claudio Ranieri believes he could surpass Roy Hodgson as the Premier League's oldest manager. In four days' time, uh, he'll be taking on Liverpool uh, just before turning 70. It, first question, Dave, is Ranieri the man to do the job at Watford and keep them up? 
Um, he seems to have had a decent record if you look at Leicester uh, over in Italy he had Sampdoria he did well to finish mid-table with them uh, in a summer that they actually were in a bit of financial strife and had to sell their whole squad uh, got them to a mid-table finish so uh, I suppose you very easily point out uh, the, the times he didn't have but is 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 it the answer? Uh Probably to keep them up, by it might be enough. Like in fairness, I did look at it. Not to win the league. Oh, not to win the league, James. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, long term, he will never. He, he won't be the man. Just like any manager who ever takes over at Watford, um, it, it, you you could do a sweep about just how long uh, he's going to stay. Unfortunately, um, obviously, if they don't stay up, he won't be there for much longer. But I have to say, just like a bit of hope for Watford, and obviously for for obviously under Ranieri, probably on his most recent job at Sampdoria. Very gradual, very nice and steady, and slowly building them up, considering, as you said, with the predicament they were in. And it's quite impressive, which a lot of people wouldn't be very aware of. Obviously, Nantes was a bit of a, a bit of a, a washout that was over quite quick, and we all know what happened with Leicester. He certainly has been there and done it. We have a bit of nous about him to do enough to get them out every chance, you know. But same again, uh, if he does get keep them up, we can't buy this time next year, you know. That's the way Watford are. So, uh, Claudio, don't do up the don't do up the, the the manager's office too much because you you probably won't be there long enough anyway. God love God love you and anyone else who seems to take that role. But as I said, but what he's done with Sampdoria, I'd like to think that might be enough considering the predicament they've been in, and he might just be clever enough to to find a way to get the to, to get them playing in a certain way that'll be that that'll that'll get him out of trouble. Yeah, Neil, as Dave said and suggested you know Ranieri mightn't even make it to Christmas the way Watford go on so you look at yeah you look at you look at that and then you look at why Ranieri took the job I suppose it's the Premier League maybe he's never doesn't think that he's going to get another chance at the Premier League but he is the type of person who you would fight for isn't he he's he's a likeable guy I'd say team morale does be high around him and he's probably exactly what they need yeah, I think he's, he comes across as a kind of an emotional guy as well, doesn't he, even when Leicester were successful. Um, he's obviously a very clever individual. And I, I think earlier where you were comparing it to Hodgson just by age or by by numbers, but he Hodgson was a clever guy as well and the way he set his teams was very meticulous. You would imagine Ranieri has a very, very, uh, I won't say simple game plan, but he has a very you know tactical awareness of what is needed to survive in the Premier League. The question is, can he get his message across? Does he have the players to do it? And maybe even for him, does he have the right backroom staff and all that good stuff coming in with him? Um, I like the way Dave alluded to the fact that uh, he shouldn't be too comfortable in the manager's office. I don't think there is a manager's office at Watford. What would be the point? What a waste of room. <laughs> so uh, maybe the, the, the manager's office is just a lead out to the street or something like that. When you're shown the door, you're gone. But yeah, uh, I... It'd be great though, wouldn't it, as a as a romance story, you know, for football people that watch football and, you know, Ranieri, what he did for Leicester and that kind of, you know, the, the roller coaster he took them on. It would be great to see him succeed at the end and, you know, pull them all together and get them going and last a season, which would, would be some feat. Because let's be honest, if he starts off seven or eight games without positive results, they could pull the trigger on him immediately. So I hope it works out well for him. I think he's gone there from a kind of romantic view that this could be his last shot in the Premier League. It probably will be. And uh, yeah, I think he could have that kind of, you know, the wily old fox that he can get something going with Watford. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Neil, thanks very much. Dave, thanks very much. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the Big Kickoff Football Show on YouTube and the Big Kickoff League of Ireland if you're into your League of Ireland. Thanks very much and we'll talk to you next week.